0: Now, if we want to know what a planet's environment is like, I don't just mean its atmosphere, I mean what it would be like to be there, then probably, as Ruth was talking about the habitable zone, the first thing we want to think about is how hot is it on this planet? Is it a nice place to be? do we think liquid water exists? So the biggest thing probably that dictates that is the distance from the sun, or if it's in another solar system, the distance from the star. So if we were to calculate the expected temperature of some of the planets in the solar system purely based on the distance from the sun, and therefore how much light and heat they receive from the sun, then we get something like this. So you'd have Mercury, its average temperature uh, about 152 degrees C. Um, The side of Mercury that faces the Sun is actually much, much hotter than that. But if you average it out about 152, um, Mars would be about minus 53, Jupiter about minus 163 degrees C, Neptune really cold, minus 229 degrees C. I can tell you that all of those numbers are actually not too far off. They're pretty much in the right ballpark. So we might think that all we really need to know about whether a planet's in the in habitable zone or not is, well, how far away it is from its star, dead easy. And that's the habitable zone that Ruth was really discussing. But then we've got Venus. Not so. Venus really screws this whole paradigm up completely because Venus's surface temperature is 462 degrees C on average. It's hotter than the average surface temperature on Mercury. And it's way, way, way hotter than it should be based on its position in the solar system, right at distance from the sun. It's only 0.7. Um, of the distance from the Earth to the Sun. It's actually not very much closer. It's only 30% closer than the distance between the Earth and the Sun. There's no way it should be that hot. The reason for that is entirely due to what its atmosphere is made of and something that we call the greenhouse effect, which I'm sure you hear a lot about now in relation to climate change but I'm going to talk about it briefly anyway. And um, for those of you that have been looking at the infrared camera demo, you may have already seen this demonstrated very nicely in the canteen. So why do we put plants in a greenhouse? We put tropical plants there or plants that wouldn't grow in Earth's, um, particularly UK's, normally miserable, wet, windy climate. Um, we'd put them in there because they need something warmer. It works because glass, as we all know, you're wearing glasses, a lot of you. Glass is transparent to visible light, the kind of light that we see with, which is the light that the sun is putting out most of. So that means that most of the radiation that comes from the sun can easily get through the glass. When it gets through the glass, it heats up the air inside the greenhouse, it heats up the ground inside the greenhouse. And when these things get hot, they also want to emit light, they want to radiate to lose that heat. But because they're much, much cooler than the sun is, they do that in the infrared rather than in the visible. So this is fine, except, oh, glass is opaque in the infrared. Greenhouse glass doesn't let infrared light escape from the greenhouse. So it can't go anywhere so the greenhouse heats up and the plants are all very very happy and you get beautiful fruit and very pretty flowers. That's all great. Um, If I just swapped a few words around in my summary that I wrote on that slide if instead of um, glass I have atmosphere and if instead of greenhouse I have planet then that's basically exactly the same thing going on Um, and it happens on the earth. Um, The earth has some gases in its atmosphere like carbon dioxide and water vapour and methane All of those things absorb infrared light, so they stop the infrared light being emitted by the Earth from escaping quite as efficiently back out into space, and so the Earth heats up. I imagine that most of you hear about the greenhouse effect in a very negative sense um, because it's to do with global warming and that's certainly true but in fact for the earth to be the temperature that, that we experience uh, it, it, it in then you have to have some greenhouse effect to get to the temperature that we're comfortable with. So the earth has always had some greenhouse gases in its atmosphere that are nothing to do with what we've put there. The problem is that we're adding more So we're making it more of an efficient greenhouse effect, and that is what's causing the Earth to warm. Now, let's go back to our solar system and look at what the atmospheres of our planet's are made of, and whether or not they're likely to be particularly efficient at being a greenhouse or changing the expected temperature of the surface of the planets or of the atmospheres of the planets in the case of the giant ones. Let's talk about the giant ones first because for these purposes, they're not terribly interesting. Um, Anything that's bigger than about a Neptune-sized thing, inside or outside the solar system, is made of about 90% hydrogen and about 10% helium. They're the most common chemicals, they're the most common species in the universe. So generally, and stars are made of the same thing, generally large things are made of hydrogen and helium. If you have enough hydrogen and helium at high enough pressure then they can absorb infrared light so you can have a bit of a greenhouse effect but it's not terribly dramatic so we're not going to talk about that too much now over here we have mercury and that's not shaded at all and there's no label that's because it's a very sad little planet it doesn't really have an atmosphere at all can we have a big oh for mercury please So that's because it's too small and it's too close to the sun. So all of its atmosphere, if it ever had one, has long since been stripped away by the solar wind. It doesn't have enough gravity to hang on to a decent atmosphere. Let's look at the Earth next. You'll notice that it sticks out a bit like a sore thumb. I've shaded it in green because green is a sort of happy, everything is good color. Um, So the Earth's atmosphere is made of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and a few other bits and bobs. Um, It's obviously the only one that has a majority nitrogen atmosphere in the solar system. There is one other body in the solar system, Saturn's moon Titan, that also has a lot of nitrogen in its atmosphere, but doesn't have so much oxygen. Instead, it has methane. So this oxygen, that's a really interesting thing. Those of you who know anything about rockets and know that we um, send rockets up into space with a fuel that's a mixture of oxygen and hydrogen would probably be able to guess that oxygen is a really extremely reactive gas. That much oxygen in an atmosphere is weird, okay? That shouldn't really be there. It's, It's not something we would expect. We'd expect that much oxygen to react with minerals on the surface, to react with other gases in the atmosphere, all go away, all disappear. The reason it's there is because of life mainly because of the plants, you get a continuous source of oxygen going into the atmosphere because plants give off oxygen as part of their photosynthetic cycle. So the reason that there's that amount of oxygen and it's stable is entirely due to the presence of life on the Earth. We keep it stable because we're now part of that chemical cycle. We've thrown our atmosphere off its equilibrium. And that's something that I want to come back to later. Okay, last two planets. Um, Weirdly enough, this is Venus, this is Mars. They've got very, very similar atmospheric compositions, but I'm sure you all know, as I mentioned earlier, Mars is about as cold as we would expect it to be based on its distance from the sun. So Mars doesn't have this crazy dramatic greenhouse effect that Venus does, and there's a very good reason for that. Mars's atmosphere is pretty pathetic. Um, it's not as pathetic as Mercury's, but still relatively so. It's only about a tenth as massive, so there's only about a tenth as much stuff As there is in the total of Earth's atmosphere. So whilst it is almost all made of carbon dioxide, which as we know is a really good greenhouse gas, there's just not enough of it to create a significant greenhouse effect. Venus on the other hand has an atmosphere that's almost a hundred times as massive as ours. It has a lot more So it has a much bigger atmosphere, but it's also all made of this incredibly efficient greenhouse gas. So that's why Venus has that incredible greenhouse warming effect. And we don't really know why Venus ended up like that. It should have been fairly similar to the Earth. It's not that much closer to the sun. They're about the same size, so they should be able to retain as much atmosphere as each other. It may be something to do with Venus having lost its oceans quite early on. Um, Most of our carbon budget is um, dissolved in oceans or in carbonate rock the formation of which is made a lot easier by having a a water ocean so that might be why but we don't really understand this so that's a summary of the solar system let's go out a bit further let's go and look at some of these um, i've got some slightly similar videos but they're not too similar to yours animations these planets these exoplanets that are out there orbiting other stars What we really want to know is what their atmospheres are made of, because we want to know if our solar system is normal or if it's weird or strange. So we need to look at that. But as Ruth said, we can't actually see these planets often. They're too close to their stars. So all we can do is see a transit. But fortunately, if we're since this doesn't work, does it? Since we're really clever, we can do this just by looking at transits. So I have a hypothetical planet here. I've shown it twice but let's pretend this is exactly the same planet Um, it's orbiting a nice yellow sun-like star for reasons best known to itself it is bright red this is the planet here and it has an atmosphere that is very efficient at absorbing red light but it's not at all efficient at absorbing blue light. So if we look at that atmosphere and we look at that transit through a blue filter then you'll notice that The opaque part of the planet, the solid bit, that's that's blocking out light from the star in a transit. That's what we expect. But the atmosphere is not blocking the blue light. The light is still getting through. If, instead, we look at it in a red filter, then that's not the case anymore. It doesn't show up very well on here, actually. It's very good on my screen. Um, If you you could see that on my screen, it would look wonderful. Um, The atmosphere actually also blocks the light coming from the star. And you can see that slightly better if you look at it Um, if you look at it sort of looking down, the light from the star in the blue filter, blue light is going straight through, but the red light is being stopped. And if we now view that as a transit, then we'll see very different things if we view that transit in blue light compared with whether we view it in red light. You'll notice that the transit in red light is much deeper because what you're effectively seeing is a bigger planet. It just looks bigger because the atmosphere looks opaque in that color of light. So, this is actually how we can work out what the atmospheres of exoplanets are made of. Because if we do this not just in two colours of light, but in all the possible colours of visible light, and all the possible colours of infrared light, and maybe even some ultraviolet as well, then we can look for colours or wavelengths of light where the atmosphere looks opaque. And because we know what colours and wavelengths of light different gases absorb most light, then we can work out what the atmospheres are made of just by looking at a load of transits. Um, It can be incredibly tricky. I think Ruth has talked about this, um, the fact that you have a very tiny signal. Um, The signal, even for quite a big planet around a sun-like star, just, just the transit, that's maybe about 1%. But the signal for the variation in the size of the transit in different colors or wavelengths of light, that's another percent. That's a percent of a percent, it's about one in 10,000. That's for a a Jupiter-sized planet around a Sun-like star. So for an Earth-sized planet, the signal is incredibly small. Um, Ruth showed some nice videos of star spots. Now, these can look a lot like, these these can look like planets, and they can also have signatures if you look in different colors that look a lot like different changes in a planet's atmosphere. That's all problematic, much easier for bigger planets too. Um, Also, quite often at this stage, because our data is still quite early on, we're still very early on in this process, we have lots of different model atmospheres that all look the same. They all fit the data just as well. We'll get better once we get better data and the signal is higher. Um, This is an example um, of some model spectra. Um, So this is what we refer to as a transit spectrum. So this is from the visible over here, this is through to the mid-infrared. And these little bumps are regions where the planet looks bigger, and I've labeled them. So this is a bump that's caused by methane. This is caused by water. This is one's caused by carbon dioxide. So we're measuring, and this is a model, so it's not that perfect yet, but this is what we're measuring. We're seeing all of these bumps, and that's telling us what's in these atmospheres on planets that we can't even see. I think that's pretty amazing. Now, obviously, ultimately, we like to find evidence of life. So we're looking for, particularly interesting molecules on earth like planets like oxygen i told you that oxygen is an important sign that there's life on earth also things like methane because bacteria can produce methane unfortunately for us they aren't the only life is not the only thing that can produce those two things they both have very nice spectral signatures it's not that difficult to look for them but they can both be produced by processes completely independent of life if you have an atmosphere that's very water dominant has a lot of water in and and you start to lose lose it to space, so you're looking at the very top, thin edge of the atmosphere, then the the stars rays can break up water into hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen is really light, so that escapes first, and you can end up with a sort of shell of oxygen-rich atmosphere. And that's nothing to do with life. And methane can also be produced by other processes. You get a lot of methane in black smokers, which are things like volcanic vents under the ocean. And that's entirely due to chemical reactions going on there. So sadly, they're not completely free of false positives. But this is the sort of thing that we're ultimately hoping to look for. We're probably a few years away from that yet, but we're getting there. Um, I'd just like to leave you with this. Um, We change our atmosphere just by existing. I, I always like to think that maybe the clouds on Venus are there because there are some aliens there that just don't want to be seen so I'll leave you with that.